And good evening. We are going to start and hopefully, huh? Cue the fog. Cue the fog. Yeah, cue the fog now. Um, thank you all for coming. We got a lot of sick people in the uh, neighborhood this week. I think Kate's struggling with strep. Uh, kids, uh, little Kala's hurting with fever. She has been throwing up all day. And uh, Hannah was hurting today, but I gave her some good drugs. And then a couple other people, so, huh? Kate, yeah. So, oh, uh, yeah. So here we are. People are taking, staying home, making sure we don't get contagious. It's funny, though, because what was that? What was Joy's friend said? You know, we're looking for a church that uh, fears God more than they do COVID. Um, so I thought that's a pretty interesting take on it. A church that fears God more than they fear COVID. Um, and it's interesting because none of this is COVID that's going around. Because everybody's test, that's the first thing you do now is test, do I have COVID? You know, it's like, I got a cold, do I have COVID? But it's interesting because some of these other things are, I mean, like the strep and stuff, the, the little collar throwing up, opening up, she doesn't have COVID, but I mean, the symptoms are bad, you know, and it's like, nobody cares about it because it's not COVID. So we kind of just, oh, you'll get better, you know, and I think the same thing with COVID. I, I still think it's what, what's the percentage rate of survival on COVID? 99. Yeah, 99.7. Kyle, I know, was on the brink of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was, he was, at, he was at the point two, uh, Mark. But um, luckily, what, DeSantis let you have the... Uh, what was it? The... Uh, Regeneron. Yeah, the Regeneron, which is basically, what, blood? Antibody blood from... Transfusion, yeah. So, yeah. Thank God. Thank God. Um, so anyways, uh, welcome. I'm glad you guys are here. I know it's a weird night cause it's Thursday. We couldn't get the thing on Wednesday. So we said, let's just do it for Thursday. The reality of being here together is for me, muy importante for the season we're going into. And whenever I get words like this, I do feel an urgency. It's, and I always give you all this picture. It's like the prophet who was given a scroll to eat. So weird, it's one of those weird things. God gave a prophet a scroll. And he says, eat this. <laughs> and um, so prophet eats it. It says it was tasted sweet going down, but then it made his stomach upset, you know. And I kind of get that. It's, it's kind of that thing's like when your stomach gets upset, the quickest way to get relief is just to go Bleh, throw it back up. And so I feel that when the Lord is feeding you something, it's like, man, this is good stuff. This is good stuff. But then the longer you hold it in, you're like, it's got to come out. You know, and I'm not trying to vomit on you, <laughs> but, you know, at the same time, the stuff that I've been digesting, I, it, it needs to be shared. It's kind of a gross way to say it, but it needs to come out. It needs to be shared. And this is the time. And obviously, I've talked about COVID a little bit in terms of when these words were given to me. The Lord literally had to lay me on my back with COVID for 20, I think I was on my back for 24 days. And you have to understand the first day I got hit with it. I'm saying, okay, Lord, what do you have to say? What, what's going on? Because, you know, I, you know, nothing happens to me that the Lord hasn't allowed to happen. All right, so I'm thinking about that. All right, Lord, what do you want me to learn? What do you want me to, let's, let's get this over with so I can get better. You know, I want to just keep moving on. You know, if this is an attack, I want to stand against it as an attack. If this is you, and it's funny because sometimes the Lord just lays me on my back and he makes me completely helpless so that finally I'll listen. 
And I'm, I'm, kind of, I'm kind of stubborn that way. A lot of things I do are good things and with good intentions. And I'll do them with all my heart. And sometimes good things aren't the right things, if that makes sense. Sometimes the good things to do aren't the right things to do. It's kind of that feeling like, hey, when you finally see the war and what we're at and you see the reality of what we're walking around, people walking around, if you want to see uh, businessmen hair on fire, but they look calm and collected, but their hair's on fire. People are walking around like zombies, but they're normal people. But if you see the real picture, you just want to help. You want to jump into every situation that comes around and help. I think Kim tries to do that for the most part. With everybody she comes into, you know, so... And she's one of those who has a little more capacity than most to be actually, uh, I guess in the business world, they would say connect, <laughs> network. Um, but she has a heart, you know, and it's funny. I asked her, I said, Lord, when you open your eyes to the people that are hurting, you want to, is your first reaction as a compassionate human being who's full of God is to go help. Even Jesus had these issues. You know, he says he was telling people, OK, I've got to go. I've got time to. And the disciples are like, hey, he's tired. Let's, let the, let's disperse the crowd. And he looks at the crowd and he's like, they're like without a shepherd. And have they eaten? You know, he, he keeps them a little bit longer. So you, you see even Jesus dealing with this. And even Jesus talking to God about things like, hey, this is not my will, but it's, if it's your will. So there's all of this stuff that goes on when we talk about um, things that need to happen. And right now with this, with the COVID, I was on my back 24 days, asking the Lord every day. And I, for whatever reason, and I have a really good relationship with the Lord. It's a really, I mean, he's my best friend. He's the person I turn to for everything. It's instant. For whatever reason, he just was quiet. And I'm thinking, all right, Lord, the, the thing is, is it my ears? You know, am I just being, and he just, he just let me go through it. And it was interesting because the first word he spoke to me after 24 days on my back with Jen, not leaving my side, after 24 days, I heard the word he finally spoke, and I knew it was him. He spoke the word dependent. Dependent. And to be honest, after 24 days, I wasn't feeling very good anyways. <laughs> and I, you know, my, my day consisted of just laying down and just being in pain. And then every time my back would give in, I would just walk a few things like this. <laughs> it was just pitiful. You know, I'd walk back. I just was, and after I walked, I was so tired, I'd go lay back down. First word I heard was dependent. And to be honest, I was, and I told the Lord knows. It's like, really? (laughs) 24 days and the word is dependent? Okay. That could mean that, yes, I may, I know I'm supposed to be dependent on you. Are you showing me that I needed to make myself dependent on Jen and others? Maybe I'm, maybe too many people have been dependent on me. That's why you took me out of the picture so some people could just rise up, you know, because if not, I would have done my natural thing, stepped in and helped. Maybe other people need. So I said, Lord, that's kind of an annoying word. (laughs) Thank you for saying it. (laughs) Thank you for saying it. But dependent, really? And so I started thinking about that in terms of, and every day, this was the first word and I, I skipped it when we first started. But you'll understand why as we, as we get into this. The, the word dependent, and, and as, I, as, as he had me digest this word, the pictures that I got was of a little kid being dependent on a father, being dependent on a mother. And it's interesting because I've been, I do a lot of grand dude duty nowadays. That's part of my uh, uh, job skill set. 
and part of my uh, my standard operating procedures during the week is I have some times with my grandkids. I love it. Absolutely love it. And it's interesting because you, you see them in a way, in a light where <laughs> they're not really worried about adult things. Like, you know, I could see Maisie, are you sure, grand dude, that you're going to have enough money for your bills this week? You know, she's... You know, not really worried, worried about that. Are you sure that, you know, that deadline that you have for that, you know, that thing, is it going to get done? You know, Maisie's never really, Maisie's, Maisie's just like, what are we going to play next? And she knows when she's around Grand Dude that she's going to be okay. And she trusts that. So whenever I say, hey, we're going to go in the water, they go in the water with me. Whenever we, we say we're going to go into the woods, and guys, I take them into some what you might think is dangerous places because honestly, they are. If you think about all the things that could happen when we're in these one place in the zoo trail back here, if you've never been on the zoo trail, if you go on the other side of the, the little lake back there, we go alligator hunting. We're not hunting, but looking for. Because there's a little alligator that, that around and things, and we go up this, these huge, it looks like Appalachian trails back there because it's, it's just, it's up and down, up and down, and you know, I've been taking them back there since they were two years old. And I always say, okay, the rule is, Grand Dude has to go. The gator could be laying across one of those flats because the water's right here. You know? <laughs> you know, here are these little two-year-old and three-year-olds just trusting Grand Dude and, you know, that, that everything's going to be okay. And obviously I have my rules and I have to tell them why and, and I make sure they're listening to my voice and making sure that they respond to me first time. There's, there's rules that go when the, the more places that they'll have fun in, the places where they're, a place where their heart is, they're listening to me. First time, there's no questioning grand dude when we're in the woods. It's, I say it, you do it quickly. We have tests, we make sure it's set and they understand. And they just, they just, but once they're there, they have a ball. And if you ever see these little kids, what they can do at age two and three, and then I taught them how to swim in the intercoastal, because obviously Grand Dude's going to teach them how to surf. So at two and three, I said, I want you to get used to salt water in your eyes. I want you to get used to currents. I want you to get used to wildlife. I want you to, there's crabs in here. There's jellyfish. These are the kinds that you can hold and throw at each other. These are the kind that you don't want to hold and throw at each other. You know, um, so yeah, at two and three, they're, they're learning how to swim in the ocean basically. So when I put them on their first wave, amazing, they're, they're taking their first waves at the inlet. They're, they're, they're standing up on a surfboard and phew, going. So when they fall off and I'm not that close to them, they know what to do. All right. Now it's interesting because if you see, see certain personalities as kids, you know, like, well, what if, you know, what if this, 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 as adults, what happens is we get into these, we grow out of childhood, childhood we, we actually got hurt by something. We figure out, oh, I better not do that, better not do that, better not. If I do this, I could get hurt. What if creeps in? You know, so when I think about the word dependent, I'm thinking, and, and, and as I was thinking about it that day on my back, I was thinking about these kids who are just, you know, if, if, if I weren't in their lives in certain situations, they were pretty much helpless. They are not in control. Things could hurt them. But when grand dude is around, for the most part, they're safe. I say for the most part because I'm not ultimately, you know, I can't control everything. 
but it's their hearts toward me that they feel, they feel my strength, they feel safe. They feel my strength, they feel safe. It's interesting because God is represented as a good, good father. It's who you are. And when you know the father as a good, good father, and if he's God, that dependence is real. You know, that dependence is something that we need to, as Jesus said, become like little children. If you want to experience my kingdom, if you want to experience what it means to have life and life more abundant, you need to learn to depend on me for everything. But what we've done is we've grown up. We said, well, I, I, I got hurt there. Where were you, God, when I got hurt there? Where were you, God, when that divorce happened? Where were you, God, when this betrayal happened? Where were you when all these things? And so what we've snuck in, and the enemy's right there just to say he wasn't there. Whether, whether you hear it out loud or subconsciously, on a subconscious level, you realize, I'm on my own. And it creeps in. I'm on my own. And so last week, I talked about fear a little bit. I talked about how fear has crept in. And us as adults now, we, we talk about Jesus as if he's, you know, a good guy and everything. But, you know, to be honest, we live our lives trying to control everything. And so that's where we come back to this word dependent. And this is as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about how the Lord said dependent, dependent, dependent. One of, the, one of the areas in my life where I've, I've, I've had to keep surrendering, Lord, is like in counseling situations or things that I have accomplished already or things that, and that same situation comes back around. I go, oh, I got this. I know how to do this. It's a little bit of pride. It's a little bit of, you go a little self-confidence. But the reality is I, the, I may know how to do this. The Lord may have taught me how to handle this for a good reason. But the instant I move in that and the instant I, I don't consult with God the Father... Because what I have found, the thing, the way I handle that situation with that situ- in that area may not be the right way to handle it now. He may call us in to just change things just a little bit. And so that dependence is real. What did Jesus say? He says, pray without ceasing. Why? You know, because that's depending on him to speak. Now, I can't see him right away. I can't see him right now physically, but I can hear him. And that's what he says. Uh, faith comes by what? Hearing. And the person who came into my mind most likely besides Maisie and, and, and the grandkids was Luke Bacuzzo, completely blind. <laughs> completely blind. And that's a good representation of kind of who we are. We don't see. We see. We, if we do see, we, as the Bible says, we see kind of dimly. You know, we don't see the big things going, you know. And so we think we do. Now, in the world system, I can tell you how to see everything. If, in the world system, we've been comparing the two. In the world system, if you want to get to the truth about anything in the world, ask where the money and what the money's doing. If you want to get to the truth behind anything, ask what the money's doing. And you get to it. But in God's kingdom, you're not dependent on a system. You're dependent on a king. You're dependent on a good, good father. And you need to be able to learn how to hear him clearly. Jesus said it this way. My sheep know my voice. 
We read in Psalms 23, the Lord is my shepherd. <laughs> I used to memorize, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I, I used to like, why wouldn't I want him as my shepherd? <laughs> when you memorize these things as little kids, you just kind of memorize them. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But you know, the, the interpretation of this is, Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I need. You know, but there's a scripture part that keep going. It says, his rod and his staff, they comfort me. His rod and his staff, that wasn't just like, oh, look, he has a rod. That was like, hey, sheep. <laughs> it's interesting. That rod was used to keep the sheep in line. But that same rod was also used to ward off lions. And you have to understand this. We talked about people who were going through sifting. If God is teaching us how to be dependent the one thing he's going to do is bring us through the fire, bring us through the pain. The Bible says that if you don't correct your child with the rod, you're doing something wrong. And you're like, oh, you're talking about spanking. Yeah, I'm talking about spanking. I'm not talking about spanking. I'm angry. But the reality is if, if my, my grandkids, he's like, you believe spanking? I, I think I've had to spank them maybe once. And that's all it took. Because first, first obedience, if my grandkids are running out into the middle of the road and a truck is coming and they don't see it, they need to hear Grand Dude's voice, believe him and his strength that the moment I say stop, they stop. The Lord is my shepherd, his rod. It comforts me. It's that reality of that, that strength that corrected me is also, I felt his strength when he is disciplining those he loves, but I also know that strength will be those to turn against those to protect me. The reality is right now we are raising, we are living in a generation that is being raised pretty much fatherless. And so when we talk about fathers and we talk about God the Father, it's almost, you have to, most people have to imagine what does that look like. Because we don't have role models. We don't. And so I am, I, I push, I was like, I, you know, I always talk to single girls, you know, and I've said this before, I said single girls, they say, you know, you know, tell me who I should, you know, show me. If, if I'm going to get married, I want you to make sure that that person is somebody who you approve of. And I'm like, listen, I am looking for those kind of guys too. <laughs> and I can be honest with you, I'm looking and I can't find them. So I said, listen, but I'm going to try to raise some. That's all I know how to do. I search, I search, I search. And I'm like, oh man, the... it's it's getting less and less. So this word dependent is powerful for us to live in because if you can just admit, I'm afraid of almost everything. Why? Because I'm on my own. And if I don't protect myself, nobody's going to protect me. You may not say it out loud, but the way you live, I can pick it out. All right. And this is where this word dependent goes. Remember the word that it says, and each of us needs to remember this. The, the scripture of it, not the, the word that was spoken is, as a leader, where are you going? Because the people who are following you are going to learn who you are. And, and if you don't know where you're going, then you're, you shouldn't be leading, number one. <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> and I've already said, the Lord says, I've already known this as a pastor. Where am I going? No greater love is where I'm going. No greater love than to lay down your life for a friend. No greater love 
than to lay your life down for a friend. And there's, there's, it's also called perfect love. And you know what a perfect love does? Perfect love casts out all fear. I love that. Perfect love casts out all fear. But what does that look like? Perfect love where I'm not afraid. How can I move in that? And I can tell you one quick example. My wife, Jen, afraid to fly. All right. Still afraid to fly? Yeah. <laughs> Don't like it at all. You put her in that situation. She's not the pilot. All you got to do is like, <laughs> you ever feel that when it goes, <laughs> and all of a sudden your stomach goes, there we go. <laughs> you know, sorry if my stomach hit you <laughs> on the way out there. <laughs> and you feel that. And the moment you feel that little turbulence, you realize, I'm not in control. And my mind instantly goes into all these places. I wonder what it feels like. <laughs> I hope we're over some warm water. <laughs> you know those cartoons when they're in the, car, in, in the elevator and it's going down. Can you just step out, jump up in the last minute and just, <laughs> you know, step out of the elevator before it crashes? <laughs> you know, you know how are we going to survive? Um, wife is terrified. When it comes to that, and I remember the first, the first time I flew her to Costa Rica, I had to put so many drug tranquilizers in her to get her just to be able to get in that plane. <laughs> yeah, I, had, I think I gave her too much because I got out of the plane, I got in, it was Costa Rica, and it's, it, they're all asking for, you know, you, you want your taxi, 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 and I was like, and Jen's just kind of in the back going, <laughs> finally getting her in this taxi, and... I'm like, I told the taxi, I heard about, we, we got halfway to the coast and there was this bridge you go over and these huge crocodiles below and the taxi driver goes, you want to see this? I go, yeah, yeah, like 10, 12 foot crocodiles and they're throwing chicken at them. You know, I look back and Jen's just in the back going. <laughs> so I, I get out and I'm, I'm watching these monsters. I'm thinking, my gosh, if anybody falls over there because the way they were attacking that chicken, anything that hits that water, these. I'm like, man, this is, this is probably not very, uh, uh, safe, <laughs> you know? yeah. No, there's just dead chicken stuff, and these gators are going to town. It's a good tourist thing for the taxi drivers to take people to, and you know, I'm getting all into it. And I, I look back, and the taxi driver had parked on the bridge, and I look back, and Jen, I guess, woke up, and here she is walking like a zombie, <laughs> tore me on the bridge off. And I'm like, she's gonna fall off the bridge, <laughs> you know. But that's how afraid she is of the of the planes. I invite some Chinese guys over from China, <laughs> not just from Chinese, some Ch Chinese guys from China over from the, I'm working in, in is a cultural exchange from a college, and these guys come to live with us, and there's little John, Dan, there's all these guys that you probably know, but back then they were just, you know, they were the best English speakers of a group, but they none of them spoke English except for one, Jason, and fast forward, Jen as a mom, just fell in love with these, these young boys. To where, when we took them back to the airport to leave, these college Chinese kids, when mom was giving them, when Jen was giving them, and they all called her mom by the end of that time, they all start weeping because they're leaving their American mom. And Jen starts weeping. And I'm going, why am I crying? <laughs> What's happening here? What has happened? She served these guys to the point where she just, as a mom, wept over them. 
And so she said, Jim, I'm supposed to go see them sometime. So by herself, she gets on a plane about a year later or something like that. By herself. Now, now this plane trip to China, that's a, what is, the, what is that one, it's like 12 hours? 13. 13. <laughs> but who's counting? <laughs> 13 hours, and that's just one of the, that's the long flight. Yeah, it takes, about, it takes about three days to get there. Maybe three airplanes. And my wife, who's terrified, gets on this trip to go see the ones she loves. And she said, Jim, I was okay. I was okay. Perfect love cast out all fear. It's interesting. When you start loving others to the point where you would give your life for them, there is nothing you wouldn't do. And when you go into that mode, something happens. The, the God Spirit, the Holy Spirit connects with your love. And all of a sudden, you become the bravest person on the planet. And guess what? We are called to live that way. Most of us have spent a lot of time loving ourselves. And that's okay because he says love others as you love yourself. If you don't know how to love yourself, it's hard to love others. Love others as you love yourself. But as you love others and you keep pouring out, what happens is God says, man, they need more of me. They need more of me because they keep pouring out. And in that love, that perfect love, fear just doesn't have a chance. It's the same, and on a practical level, same thing. People are like, you're not afraid of sharks? Well, yes. If I, there's a 10-foot shark in the water, I get afraid of it because I'm smaller. <laughs> And it's got sharper teeth. If it bites me, I will bite it back. I got teeth too. <laughs> but the reality is, it's not the fear of sharks that keeps going. You know, yes, I know they're there. But the reality is, I love to surf. Now, it's funny because if there's no waves and I see sharks and there's no waves, I'll probably stay out of the water. I'm not like, oh, great. I'm just going to go paddle out. <laughs> I love the, the waves so much that it's funny because even when I see fins and there's good waves out there, I'll just put my feet on the board for a little bit. Okay. Here comes the wave. <sighs> Perfect love casts out fear. Y'all have seen it. I guarantee a lot of y'all have experienced it. I hope you've experienced it. So where are we going? No greater love. No greater love. And this is where I want to get tonight. Last week we talked about the 100-foot wave, things that get, get away from this no greater love. Because not only can we experience no greater love right now, tonight, for the rest of our lives, until we see no greater love face-to-face. till we see perfect love face-to-face. We got a picture of what it looked like on this planet, and it was him hanging on the cross. No greater love. Could you imagine Jesus sweating in the, in, the, in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating, just say, Lord, if this cup, because he knew the pain and suffering was going to if this cup could pass from me, but not my will, your will be done. He gained that presence by the way he loved his disciples. He's like, I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing it for them. I will face this for them. No greater love, perfect 
love. We got a human representation of what it looks like, and it's quite disturbing, to be honest, what it really ends up looking like. But on the other side of that is this resurrection Christ. And to be honest, we're supposed to live in that also. That way, anything we think we lost on this planet because we gave our life up for somebody else doesn't matter. For instance, we're going to live forever according to our faith. This life is basically not the life we're investing in, right? I think so. It says, don't invest in what is going to be burned up, eaten by moths. Rust is going to get it. I mean, here in, in, on the ocean, rust hits everything. But rather, invest into my kingdom. And where is this kingdom found on this earth? The hearts that are right next to you right now. So if you seek my kingdom first every day, you're looking at the people that enter your life, not as a business opportunity for you to advance yourself, but as an opportunity for God to speak, for an opportunity for God to use you, for an opportunity to God to change somebody else's life. And if you live this way, fear just doesn't have a place to hold itself. Now, if you come into a crowd and all you're thinking about is yourself, how do, how do I look? It's kind of like an awkward prom. <laughs> you know, you go back to middle school or high school in those days, and like, what am I wearing? Does everything look right? Is my hair just right? That's not perfect love. But honestly, if you take it honest, is that how we think? What are they thinking about me? Why don't you blow past that and think about, man, they need help. They need love. The moment you move in that, all of a sudden, you come out of your shell. He's like, because why? Because you are the body of Christ. You are his church. So I was saying, here we go. We're going. If you're following me, we're going to perfect love. That's where we're going. We're going to see him face to face. We're going to go no greater love. That's what we're going to experience it now. The 100-foot wave, our 100-foot waves get in the waves. But right now, the, the next word that he gave me on that next those three, four days, was the word trajectory. Now you write that down, trajectory in your brain or calculate how you do. Trajectory. Now, when I got this word, that was one morning I woke up, trajectory, and I, had, I was watching the news. I was watching about, who are the two millionaires again? Bezos and uh, who are going to space? Musk. Musk, yeah. These guys are going to space. And if you have watched any of the launch, rock, rocket launches lately, they're different than they were before. If you haven't gotten up early to see them, they're just gorgeous. They got this halo that goes around, and all of a sudden you see these little things coming off. I thought, because I was there, I actually remember when the space shuttle blew up. I was watching it in high school, I, and I saw it, and I was like, I, I remember seeing it go up, and you're just are supposed to see just one straight thing. All of a sudden I saw something fall off, and another fall off, and explosions. Well, when I was watching these, one of these recent things, I saw something fall off. But what it is, they're rocket boosters that get them up there, they have the technology now, not just let them fall in the ocean, but they actually have their own rocks, and they land on a boat. <laughs> you know, I'm going, oh, no, oh, God. You know, you know it's still going. You know, that, what? You know, I was like, but they're amazing. But in the early days of when, have you heard, you know, well, it's not rocket science. But you understand that. If you ever think about, okay, this earth is spinning, Right? 
And not only is it spinning by itself, but then it's actually going around the sun. The sun itself, everything in, the, in this is, is moving. The moon is spinning around the earth, which is spinning around the sun. And we're going to go to the moon in 1960s, whatever day. Was it 63? I forget what day we learned it, laying on the moon. 69. But these rocket scientists back in the day, they're like, we're going to go to the moon. And remember, that was back when the computers that got the people to the moon, they filled up buildings bigger than this, and they had less computing power than my phone. <laughs> these were rocket scientists. And they were calculating their trajectory because if they missed the launch window, you've heard of that because you have to, back then you had to calculate the curve and how long it's taking. The moon's going to come this way, and if we move just right, and we got to launch at just the right time and have the right trajectory so that we don't miss. We don't miss the mark. Because if we were off by our math just a little bit down here, if our trajectory, our calculation is off just a little bit down here, we're going to miss by miles up there. These guys who get on the top of a rocket in these little capsules, trusting the rocket scientists to make the correct, because basically they're just like, okay, they don't have the, you know, the fancy sci-fi, let's just turn. <laughs> We're on trajectory. Maybe I might have a little bit of tss, 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 you know? <laughs> Oh my gosh, these guys were brave or stupid. But the Lord spoke trajectory. So I got to start geeking out by this word trajectory because I know I'm leading us somewhere to perfect love. I said, all right, Lord, did you put me on my back to correct my trajectory. It's my trajectory off right now. And basically the answer is yes. But you know, it's not necessarily huge adjustments. They can be just minor corrections in the calculus that can make huge differences. And the difference is between, and I believe we're on a launch pad right now. I believe that the Lord is launching us into new territory. He's launching it, whether it's spiritually, whether it's as a group, whether it's in your family. But I believe he's launching us into new territory this season. And this is what gets me excited. And this is why this message is for now. is because this new year is coming up. And I don't know what the world's going to do next year. I don't know what kind of crazy fear is going to come out for us to be afraid of and run. You know. But us as a body, we need to know where are we going, not to lose sight, and to correct these trajectories. And this is, these are the three things. I said, Lord, this trajectory thing, how do you want me to calculate it? What do you, how do you want me to get back in line? And he said this next, holiness. All right, holiness. Now, again, I have to teach a little bit about holiness because the first time you think about holiness, whenever I, th whenever I hear the word holiness, I think about a monk up on a mountain going, you know, I love doing that in the bathroom because it sounds so much better. <laughs> and that's what I think about holiness is this isolated guy who's just, you know, living above everything else. He's, you know, he's taking a vow not to ever, you know, have sex and he's taking a vow to just meditate till he hears God. But that's not holiness. Not really. The word holiness has this idea of being set apart for a purpose. That's why you have all these holy men in the Bible. They weren't very moral. If you look at most of the leaders in the Bible, they were actually really bad guys in terms of like King David. Adulterer, murderer, covered up an adultery. 
you know. He was considered holy because why? He was set aside for a purpose, and when he was put in that purpose, he, he, he did what God wanted. doesn't mean he was perfect. Right? There's an idea of holiness that we get confused with. Holiness literally means set aside for a purpose. Again, holiness is my toothbrush. I put it in one place. I try not, Kim would probably agree with this. You try not to put your, those brushes, like if you're in a hotel room, where do you keep your toothbrush in a hotel room? Well, you don't go to a hotel room. <laughs> Medically sealed. <laughs> Medically sealed. Yeah, I mean, if you think about where your toothbrush should go in a hotel room, you want to keep those brushless part away from anything laying on the, you know. You keep that toothbrush holy. It's set aside for a purpose. All right. Now, the moment a toothbrush loses its holiness, it drops on the floor near the toilet. God forbid it plops in the toilet. You grab it. Hey, it's still good. It's lost its holiness, right? I would hope so. (laughs) A 10 second rule. (laughs) You know, but you have to understand holiness. So the Lord was, we were talking about holiness. All right, set aside for a purpose. Get that in your mind. Set aside. So I want to talk about three things There is a lot more, but three things that I want to cover tonight about keeping holy. These small, if you change these things, you keep these things, if you keep these things set apart for a purpose, these little course corrections in your trajectory today will change a ton of big things. It will make a big difference in the long run when you're, when arriving at these destinations. First one, Sabbath. I love the Sabbath. All right, because God said, that he made one day out of the seven days of the week, he made one day just for you. The other days, he said, he kind of said, I work on the other six days. I'm, I'm doing things. I'm creating. It wasn't work. wasn't low. necessarily. It was, but God said, I want you to keep my Sabbath holy. One day that you rest. And that word rest is very interesting. But one day, and, and, and he goes, the scriptures also say that the Sabbath wasn't, or man wasn't made for the Sabbath. The, the Sabbath was made for Man or woman. The Sabbath was made for you. So keep it holy. Set it apart. Out of six days, you take one day to just do a Chelsea day. Isn't that cool? Now, the world, if you want to get ahead, you need to really stay busy. You keep the pipes full. So when the lean times come, you got stuff in the pipes. Poop out. (laughs) You know. But the Sabbath was made for you. And and I I want and it's funny because we get we get you get legalist in this. You know, because there's if you look at the scriptures and the Sabbath to keep the Sabbath holy, it's it's really strict. Like in the under the Old Testament, it's like if you don't keep the Sabbath holy, you dead. You should die. But the reality of keeping a day of rest, specific to you and the Lord, having an amazing day that day. And you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, what do you do on your Sabbath? So some people are like, I just, I just stay in prayer all day. You know, so I'm on my, my Sabbath, I Lord, I, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to watch that movie I haven't seen yet. Or I'm just going to take a nap in the middle of the day. <laughs> or I'm going to sleep in. Or I'm going to... You fill in the blank. If you had one day that you could celebrate with the Lord, what would you do? 
This is my Sabbath. Because I don't rest well sitting still, to be honest. The moment I sit still, my mind goes... So if I surf or I'm, I'm, I'm in a place where there's a little bit more danger, where I'm just thinking about where am I stepping right now? Is there a rattlesnake here? You know, all of a sudden everything comes in focus and my mind is at rest. Some people mow a yard. That does it. Some people drive. I don't know what it is for you, but that rest is between you and the Lord. Don't let anybody else tell you how to use your day. You know, and I used to think, you know, people say, hey, go to church on the Sabbath. You know, for a lot of people, church is work. People come up to you. You know, I'm like, ah, I'm not doing church on my Sabbath. It's not that I don't like the people. It's just like, it's just, it's, it's just, if you're going to rest, you need to figure out that day and go celebrate that day. Keep the Sabbath holy. And you'll notice they do studies on it. If you don't take one day off and relax, you're probably going to die of stress pretty quick. Your body starts deteriorating. Your mind You need that reset. And I plug it in the Lord. I say, Lord, what are we going to do today? I do that every day. But on the Sabbath, what are we really going to do today? And obviously, if your cow falls in a pit, (laughs) Jesus told this to the legalists, you're going to go pull it out, right? (laughs) You know, of course you are. Uh, There's times when I've I've been on Sabbath and emergency happens. Guess what? Sorry, can't help you. (laughs) I'm on my Sabbath. <laughs> but I do take it seriously. And if you haven't taken your Sabbath seriously in a while, course correct, trajectory. If you have a wife, it's good. If you don't, it's, sometimes it's good to do it together. Sometimes it's good to, the wife takes one day so you can protect it for her if you got kids. And you take it the other day. But ask the Lord about it because he made that day for you to enjoy him and everything he's made. Score. Second thing to keep holy, your body. And in that, I'm going to include your mind and your soul because they're all in your body. I hope. (laughs) And this is why every summer we do a boot camp. Because what is your body according to the scriptures? Your body is what? The temple of the Holy Spirit. You know, that is powerful. You know, so taking care of your body. And if you ever read the Old Testament, especially Leviticus and all those boring books that tell you how to take care of the temple. So tedious. And they took care of everything. They cleaned it. They, they made sure everything was pure. They made sure everything was right so that everything would go just right. You know, if you think about what we let into our temple, you are what you eat, not only physically, but also Mentally, the things that we let in through our eyes, the things that we let in through our ears, you know, the things you feed are going to get stronger. And so we need to be real careful. And I talk about our bodies, I'm talking about what we're taking in also to our spirit and to our soul. And again, the legalists will say, you know, don't ever laugh, don't ever dance, don't ever, you know, <laughs> stay holy, keep yourself away from the appearance of sin. You know, you're like, well, I can't do nothing. One of the things we did at, when I was at Hampton is that we had our first dance, and man, nobody danced. <laughs> you know, 
I want to dance like David danced. Maybe it's to Michael Jackson. I don't know, but he makes me want to move. But the thing about our, you know, and so I'm not going into that place where it's like, but I think even God laughs at some of the comedians that are out there right now. Some of them that are not Christians. Some of them are just funny. You know. It's just, it's, it's not one of those legalistic things about it. But, but at the same time, I talk about physically, that's why we do boot camp every year. Because boot camp, I believe everything's spiritual. Even your body is spiritual. I don't have a separation between spirit, body, and everything's spiritual. God made us as spiritual beings. Your physical bodies are spiritual. If they are the temple of the Holy Spirit, you better believe they're spiritual. So when we do our boot camp, I see so much things falling off people because they're finally facing things that maybe this little stomach, this little piece of whatever that is, you know, skin inside that goes, you're hungry. (laughs) You need to eat all of that. (laughs) And you're like, you know what? Maybe you can tell that stomach, no. <laughs> Maybe you can say, not that. And so the boot camp's just a reminder of like, we're going to take care of our bodies. And man, I've seen a lot of spiritual growth when we start doing that as a, as a group and accountability to that. Now, there are some churches that have taken this to the extreme, man, where their, their whole worship service is a workout room. <laughs> you know, and they're all on these, you know, and uh, God bless them. And they all look, you know, they all come in, hey, how you doing? You know, they're all, you don't have donuts in the back. They have, you know, smoothies and, you know, all sorts of gross stuff you, want to eat, you don't normally eat. Um, so, again, <laughs> but I do know this, that if you get in shape, and if you find out how to play again, actively, physically, did you know you can probably eat a little bit more stuff? Because your body's like a furnace at that point. It's like, and I remember when Joy was at college, man, she was, they would train twice a day. And those girls, and they were just like, girls like, hey. <laughs> you look at her legs, they're like, <laughs> just, you know. They, could, they, they, when they eat, they sat down and just, <laughs> I like that. But to do that, I better be active. My body better be healthy. I better be moving a lot. I love me to eat. <laughs> But if I'm not going to be moving that much, you know, I better take care of my body and just, and I just, what I'm saying is that keep your stuff holy. Your mind, we all touched on that a little bit. That's part inside your body, this brain. What is it looking at? Probably this. <laughs> well, what's on this? What is it? What are you feeding it? The news? You know, if you're feeding off the news, 24-7 Fox, <laughs> you're going to become that. <laughs> Not all of it's bad. Oh my gosh, if you feed that all the time, it just depends on what you're eating. So, first thing to keep holy is the Sabbath. Second thing, your body, mind, soul. But this is the one I want to play up on. This is where we're going to end here. It's your first love. Your first love. If you read in the Revelations, it talks about, hey, you guys, he's talking to the church. Say, you're doing all this stuff okay. But you've lost your first love. And he's talking about his relationship with his bride. His relationship with you. And you know how it was. You know, well, who was your first love? You know, you think about your first love. And the moment you thought you were first in love or your first attraction is probably the better way to say it. When your palms were sweaty and, you know, you saw them in slow motion when they came down the hallway. And, you know, you thought, am I, am I, am I you know. 
And I remember, you know, I mean, I remember, you know, the, the, I remember my first loves right there, Jen. I remember I had a Honda Civic and she lived in Lake Mary and I lived in Crime Hills and I had to get from point A to point B and I was just learning my clutch and, I, and there was a hill there going up to Lake Mary on this one thing and I was just terrified of getting on that hill and the light would always stop when I was just like this. And I'm like, that car behind me is going to get hit by me. <laughs> you know? Clutch, 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 clutch. <laughs> You're trying to get ready for it. But I remember facing so many things just to see her. Just to be in her presence. We would sneak out of places just to be together. And then when you finally get married, you're kind of like, okay, we're together. <laughs> and so we become, and it's, it's, it's funny, marriage, marriages become these, uh, how do you call it, uh, Business relationships. Well, we got kids now, so here's the schedule. You do this, I do that. And we just start getting, you know, kind of doing things. And some marriages work really well that I do this, you do that. But where did that first love go? And I found a truth that if you do not stir love, it goes cold. If you don't bring some work and effort into love, it gets cold. The scriptures say in the last days, the love of many will grow what? Cold. So how do we keep our first love holy? How do we set it apart? Because that should be from everything else. If anything else, if you don't keep the Sabbath holy, if you don't, if you don't keep your body holy, you better start with this, your first love. Now, when I first got saved and I found out that Jesus is everything to me, when I first gave my heart to him, it was he's your best friend. Every morning I'd wake up early just to be with him first. I would sneak out of the house to be under the stars with him. I couldn't wait for him to tell me cool stuff. Couldn't wait. And as we go on, we get more knowledge about how he works and how we think he works and all this kind of stuff. We kind of just tend to kind of cruise through with good principles in mind. But going back to that dependent attitude. Guys, if you don't know why he did what he did, it's because he's a hopeless romantic I'm going to give you the answer to the why question. Why all this is going on? Because God is a hopeless romantic. So hopeless that he did not want to create robots, but he gave us a will so that we could actually literally choose him. Because without that, love is kind of like, Siri, Siri, you love me. Not really, Jim. You know, it's, you can program that to say whatever you want. But man, I'm taking a risk when I'm, I'm, I'm loving, you know, Michael. I gave Michael a lot, man. Is, is he going to return it? Is he going to care for me? Or does he just want something from me? Oh, my God, I'm all insecure now. <laughs> what was that other thing we had to do? Oh, yeah. Perfect love. I got to just love Michael. <laughs> but that first love needs to be set apart again, needs to be kept holy. So how do you relate to God? How do you relate to him? How does he relate to you? Every morning, it used to be a bike ride with him before the sun got up. And, and he tells that church, return to your first love. Return to it. Stir it up again. Get it hot again. Sneak out. What did Jesus do with his first love? He was always sneaking out three in the morning, going up in the mountain, and just being alone with God. And the, and the disciples knew he's up there somewhere praying. 
And this was after a long day. Jesus was in love with the Father. It wasn't a duty. It was one of these things like, I get to do this. I get to be in the presence of the person who has the answers to everything. And it says the Holy Spirit will lead us into all truth and divulge all mysteries if we just return to the Father. And you practice that first love because what happens with your first love? You start talking to somebody and you start listening to his voice. You start recognizing his voice. You're spending time in his presence, spending time in his things. And nobody, and the Jesus and the Bible calls it the secret place. Nobody else really knows about it except for you and him. Set those times apart. And that should be every day. Because his mercies are new every day. So if Aaron will come on up and get this ready. And this is the word that he gave me inside of this. And I'm going to, Aaron, we're going to do a couple worship songs. And then you all be able to go home. It's Thursday night. Write this down into your, uh, this is what he gave me about my first love. Practice the invisible. Practice the invisible. So the invisible will overflow into the practical. Now, I don't know if I had read this on a Chinese fortune cookie one day or not, or why this was so clear into my head. But it was so like when I got it from the Lord in my COVID day, after about talking, me and him talking about our first love, practice the invisible. So the invisible will overflow into the practical. The invisible, obviously being God and his presence. He's invisible right now, but we're going there. We're going to see him one day. We're going to see him one day. But until that day, like Luke, who needed somebody's hand to guide him, whenever he says, go, we need the Father's voice every moment of our life. These course corrections, these small trajectory corrections can change your course in any part of the day. And it could just be this small little voice that hears, just go over here and love this person right now. Stop what you're doing. And because you've practiced the invisible, you recognize that's him. I know it's him. I know it's him speaking. All of a sudden he gets, he wants me to do something. He's, 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 he's changing my routine today. And it's, it may not be a big course correction, but this person he's put in front of me and he wants me to love. He wants me to find this kingdom inside of this person right now. And nothing else matters. Jesus was one of the people who just was so rude to people's schedules and their plans. So I'm calling us back to this course correction, this trajectory correction, back to our first love. And if you haven't experienced that first love, I'm inviting you into that tonight as we worship. This is very romantic, by the way. This is a romantic. When we worship, you know, that's just a kind of a, a romance thing between us and God. We're singing to God. You know, the only thing, thing I can conjure that is like when you see these guys proposing to or singing uh, girls in the window and they go down and they sing a song to them. You know, it's like one of those silly things. That's what kind of the position where we're kind of, you know. Well, I'm willing to play that fool. Because I know him. 
<laughs> and in this moment, if you've never experienced that first love, I encourage you, forget the people around you. Close your eyes if you have to. And try to sing along with the words. I think we might have words up here. <laughs> we might have words. You might have to keep one eye open. If you want to stand, stand in his presence. If you want to kneel, kneel in his presence. If you want to lay straight out before the king, lay straight out before his presence. Don't let anybody else and the thought of anybody else dictate your passion for your first love. That's where people may think I'm a little odd. I don't really care. I don't have to answer to you one day. I do have to answer to my first love. So, Mr. Aaron, 